0: Uh, we're continuing our series here at the chapel that we started last weekend called Navigating Life, um, a study through the wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature, it's just this portion of the Bible that's really all about how to live wisely based upon God's truth and real life experience. And uh, like like Brian said earlier, you know, all of us have influence. So whether, whether we're Um, a business owner, or whether we're just a worker, we have influence with our co-workers. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you've got influence with your kids. Uh, If you're a teacher, you've got influence with your students. Every single one of us has influence, and what we do with that influence makes an impact in other people's lives. And the way that we impact others, that's what leaves the legacy that we will leave. And God's word speaks to this issue of legacy. And that's what we want to really talk about this weekend. Several years ago, uh, a friend asked me a question when it comes to this idea of influence and leadership and uh, legacy that I've never, ever been able to shake. And here's the question He said, If you knew that your kids or grandkids, coworkers, friends were going to turn out to be just like you, what would you want to change about you, starting right now? And you know, last weekend was Father's Day, and I think about my role as a dad with Laney Grace, and Carter. I think what, what are they going to pick up from me? Because the fact of the matter is, I'm going to rub off. You're going to rub off on your kids, your grandkids, those that you work with. In what way are we going to rub off? There's certain things I know when I think about that question. You know, what would I want to change about me starting right now if I knew that Carter and Gracie and Laney were going to turn out to be just like me? And there's parts of me that I don't want to pass on. Thing, things, that, things that are weaknesses in, in personality or, or character, we all want to leave a mark, don't we? And we want to leave the best mark possible. And Psalm 112 is a psalm that David wrote that really speaks to this issue of legacy. Actually, Psalm 112 and Psalm 111 almost go hand in hand. It's like in Psalm 111, uh, David is talking specifically about who God is, God's character. And then in Psalm 112, he talks about the godly, uh, how, how the character of God rubs off and impacts people, and in turn, their lives then become a legacy kind of life. So I want to read Psalm 112 for us together today and then we're going to kind of pick apart some some wisdom truths that will help us live a legacy life. All right, Psalm 112 beginning in verse 1. David begins he says praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Now watch legacy rise to the surface. He says their children will be successful everywhere An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves, he says, will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. He says, light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous and compassionate and righteous. And good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. He says, such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will long be remembered. They do not fear bad news, for they confidently trust the Lord to care for them. And they are confident and fearless. And they can face their foes triumphantly, David says. They share freely and they give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. And he contrasts all of this in the last verse of Psalm 112, when he says, But the wicked, the wicked will see this and they will be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away all their hopes thwarted. Because the wrongdoers know that there's nothing that can compete with a real life of godly legacy. So David, David is trying to help us learn what a legacy life is can look like, and the path towards that kind of life. And the first thing that I think he's trying to to point out is that a legacy life begins with our relationship with God. That's why A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. What we think about God is the most important thing about us because what we think about God will determine how we relate to God. If I think God is angry, if I think God is mean, if I think God is just all about rules, that's going to affect how I relate to God. On the flip side, if, if, I, if I believe that God is loving and merciful and kind, that's going to change how I relate to God. God. And my relationship with God, your relationship with God, it will in turn impact how you do relationships with everybody else in our lives. And so, so what is David getting at here? Look at verse one with me again. And this is what he begins with. He says, praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. He gives us these two things that he says marks a healthy relationship with God, but it's it's somewhat surprising to me. He says, fear and obedience marks a healthy relationship with God. Why would he say that? When I think fear and obedience, I'm not thinking good things typically. In, in, in Psalm 111, the, the psalm right before this, at the end of the psalm, he says some, something very similar. He says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. He's actually quoting uh, uh, solomon from the book of proverbs he says all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom so here we have these two things fear and obedience like but is that what it's really all about ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. solomon known as the wisest man that ever lived when he's kind of had it all done it all lived it all he comes to the end of of his life and he makes this conclusion he says this is my final conclusion fear God and obey his commandments for this is everyone's duty. Now it seems like a simplified kind of like bottom line of life. But when I heard that, hear that word duty again it, it it just it just goes with fear and obedience and duty and I asked myself the question is that it? In fact, probably many of us in this room grew up in churches. Maybe have lived a very religious life, a very dutiful life, a life filled with fear of God and, and just do what's right, obey. So why could David, because these things don't compute for me, when David, when David talks about fear, he says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord. And when he talks about obeying God's commands, he says he delights in it, like has deep happiness in obeying commands. So what is the difference maker for David? That's what I want to know, don't you? Several years ago, uh, Lisa and I, we were uh, working at a summer camp, uh, and uh, we ran the youth program, and it was kind of a family camp setting. Whole families would come and vacation for a week on the shores of Lake Michigan. We were going to the seminary at the time, and over the summer months, this is what we did for two years. We were running the youth program, and there were three kids that just really stood out those two summers uh, that we were working there. They were the kids of Dan and Nancy Bishop. Dan would later become a mentor to me, and still is. His kids were just awesome kids, and they were teenagers, <laughs> like awesome teenagers like that isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> they, they all three of their kids they just they just seemed like they loved God and they were honoring to others, and they showed respect, and they they were servant-hearted, and they, I mean, it seemed like they just loved their mom and dad. I remember thinking, uh, this was before Lisa and I had kids of our own, I remember thinking, man, if our kids would turn out like Dan and Nancy's, I would be super, super blessed. And one day I remember going to Dan and saying, Dan, tell me, your kids, they, it just seems like they're turning out amazing. Like, what's your secret? And without hesitation, he said, capture their heart. He said, Todd, capture their heart because when you have their heart, you have them. You know, rules don't really work very well in absence of a real relationship. And that's what Dan was talking about. Capturing their hearts in relationship in a loving, committed relationship, so that when the rules come, and there are rules, that, that there's, there actually becomes delight in obeying the rules because you know that the one who has the rules for you is trying to watch out for you, trying to protect you, trying to lead you in the best way possible. And I think that was the difference for David. Why David could say, what joy for those who fear God. What delight, what happiness, what celebration for those that learned to obey God's commands. It was because God had captured David's heart. And it made all the difference. See, David had experienced God's love and grace and compassion. God had redeemed David. David is called a man after God's own heart. And it caused him to follow him, yes, with a holy fear and awe, but with a great joy and delight. David knew God's heart, and God had captured David's heart. And the beginning, the beginning, the first step towards a legacy life has to do with how we relate to God. So let me ask you how do you see God? Is it still a duty? Is it just about fear and obedience? Or has he captured your heart? The second thing that I notice in this text is that David is reminding us that a legacy life is a life that lives on. It kind of goes without saying, right? That's what, that's what legacy is. Legacy can't help but live on and impact others. And so he says who they impact. He says, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation, he says, of godly people will be blessed. Why? Because of the ones who had been fearing and obeying God with all they were. And then in verse 3, he says, they themselves will be wealthy. And their good deeds, he says, will last forever. Legacy. I don't know about you, though. I read those verses, and I've got a problem with them. <laughs> I read verse 2. So if you obey God and fear Him, then your children will be successful everywhere, right? How many of us know that doesn't always work out? I, I, I mean, I know some people that really love God and fear God and obey God, and it has not been an easy road with their kids. Not everybody's kids are like Dan and Nancy's. And then I read verse 3, and oh, and they themselves, the ones that fear and obey God, uh, they'll be wealthy. I I've met some people in India that feared and obeyed God, and I mean they had nothing. So what do I mean? What do we do with this? This is where it's important for us to understand. Like when we read Scripture, you, we don't just pick one verse and kind of oh yeah I like that one, so I'll just hold on to that one and believe that one and live that one, and not understand the rest. Of the teaching from god's own word and the rest of life experience right you, you see this is not like some carte blanche promise that hey just fear and obey god and then everything's going to be good for your kids and man you're going to be wealthy and things are going man if that was the case our church would be more full than it ever has been right that sounds like a great deal But it doesn't always work that way. And wisdom literature is not perfect promises. Wisdom literature is saying this is the normal, regular pattern of life that many times is true or will happen, but it's not 100%. Because we still live in a broken world, and and we're broken people. And yet with with David and with Solomon, the all-wise one, he says, Here's here's the main thing. Fear God and obey him. From a captured heart, fear him with great joy. Obey him because you find great delight and let the results be kept in the hands and heart of God himself. So a legacy life, it it begins with our relationship with God and a legacy life can't help but continue to live on. That's why he says, your children will be blessed, an entire generation will be impacted. You never know what your life might mean to someone else and the impact that you could be making. But there's a third thing that I understand from David's psalm here, and that is that a legacy life really is a godly life. Remember I said that Psalm 111 really pictures the character of God, and then Psalm 112 is kind of like... Turning the page and saying, Well, here's how God affects a human and a human becomes more godlike, more godly. And David says what that looks like in the text. This is why he's saying a legacy life is a godly life. He says, Light shines for the darkness, uh, in the darkness for the godly. Now, that could mean two things. It could mean that the godly one, the one that follows and obeys God and fears Him will always have clarity on the direction of his life, that there will be a light in the midst of all the darkness so that they know which way to go. And that, that, I think that's true, and I think that could be true of the text here, but it could also mean something else. It could also mean that the ones that are generous and compassionate and righteous, those are the godly, that their light will shine in the darkness. Why? Because those three things, generosity and compassion and righteousness, especially in a culture like ours, and guess what? Even in a culture like David's, they stand out. Those things are light in the midst of the darkness. And so David says, a legacy life is a godly life. And a godly life is a compassionate, generous, and righteous life. Why? Because God is compassionate, and God is generous, and God is righteous, Compass- uh, generous. Uh, this, this theme fleshes out throughout Psalm 112 um, a few different times. And that's why earlier, you know, when it says uh, the godly, they themselves will be wealthy. If, if we ever have any wealth, and actually in America, all of us are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Wealth is never for ourselves. That's why he talks about generosity and giving so much. He says, they share freely and they give generously to those in need. You see, a legacy life, a godly life does not grip what it has. It gives what it has. When I think about people that have made an impact in my life, many of them have been people that have shown great generosity. So our son, Carter, um, he plays sports. He's a little guy. And uh, in fifth grade, he, he took up drums in the school band. I know, drums. We got him a drum set, put it up there in his room. Why did we do that? I don't know. It's upstairs in his room, down the hall from our room. Uh, and he just loves it, though. I mean, he, we, we just put him in there. I played saxophone, so I little, know a little bit about music, but I don't know really anything about drums. And uh, so we just, we got this used drum set, we threw it together, put it up in his room, and he's been banging on it ever since. Well, a couple weeks ago, he went to a drum set camp with, I mean, there was going to be a room with like multiple other drummers with their whole drum sets all, I mean, man. And uh, I thought to myself, man, we got to get his drum set like Tuned up, like fixed up. I don't want him to be embarrassed in front of all these other kids because I knew it wasn't sounding like it should have sounded, and it wasn't his fault, okay? It was the drums. And one one of our drummers from our chapel worship band has been giving Carter lessons and just encouraging him and teaching him and helping him grow. And then this other drummer had one time said, Well, if you know, I heard you got a drum set, if you need help setting it up or something, or I could help you. And so the week before Carter was to go to this drum set camp, I'm like, I called him up. I'm like, "Could you come? <laughs> like these things, we got to get this thing tuned up before he goes to camp." He's like, "Yo, oh, yeah, he goes, "I'll I'll be over." So a couple nights later, he comes over and uh, he gets out of his car and we head up into Carter's room and he's got a toolkit, a toolkit just for drums. Like, I didn't know there was such a thing. There's tools for drums. Not only that, he brought this big rubber-made bin and it was filled with extra parts and I just asked him to come over and, and change the drum heads, tune, like, tune them up. Well, he starts tuning them, and he's like, no, nah, this, is this isn't going to work. And so he's like, hang on a second. So he reaches down in his bin, and he pulls out. He goes, oh, I think this will fit. This is way better. He puts another new drum head on, and he starts to tighten it up. Then he goes to the second drum head. And he's like, oh, hang on a second. I think, I think I've got one of those in there, too. And he reaches down and pulls out another brand new drum head, and I'm dollar signs are starting to pop up in my mind. I'm like, "Well, no, it's good. It's fine. It's fine. It'll work. Just don't you know. I'm like, you don't have it. he's like, "No." I want to. Cuz a legacy life doesn't grip what it has. It gives what it has. And he 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 starts changing all of the drum heads. Then he's got he's like, he's like, "And oh, this'll work too. You need these too." He's I'm like, "What's that?" He's like, They're they're called muffles. He's like, Trust me, you want these. (laughs) He's like, it dampens the sound. I'm like, oh, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, by the time we got done, it was like Carter had a whole new drum set. It sounded completely different. It sounded amazing. And Carter, he was he couldn't believe it. It's legacy. That's impact. That's generosity. I want to introduce you to another generosity story. This is Susie. Susie, uh, she's been attending our Port Clinton campus for about a year now. She's lived in the area for about four years. Uh, when she moved here, she left a really a bad situation. She left everything behind. And showed up in Port Clinton, Ohio with nothing. She hasn't even had a vehicle for four years. But she works, walks to work, tries to get involved, comes comes to church on Sunday. She's been in volunteering and kids' celebration. She's a greeter at one of the doors. Uh, month or so ago, there was a couple at the chapel, and they were getting ready to buy a a new vehicle, and they didn't do what, you know, most of us would do, what I would do, you know, like, okay, you take your used vehicle, and you trade it in, or you sell it to make some money in order to put that towards the new vehicle, right, and, but that's not what they did, they, they, in fact, they came to the, to us, and they were like, we want to, we just want to bless somebody, is there anybody, is there anybody that, that really is in need of some transportation, we are like, Susie. And they gave us the car. They handed over the title. And, and there's Susie standing with her little doggy and with her new keys. She said, This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Now I can finally go and visit my grandchildren. And I can work in the winter. Why? Because she doesn't have to walk in the freezing cold. And I can go to Bible study now, too. Thank you, Jesus. That couple that, that, that gave their car, I mean, they, before they gave it away, they fixed it all up and they cleaned it all up and they'll never know the impact that they've made in Susie's life. She's never going to forget that. That is legacy living. A legacy life is a godly life and a godly life is a generous life, but that wasn't the only mark of a godly life David marked out for us. Not only is a godly life generous, he says a godly life is a compassionate life. A compassionate life. I love this, this quote. Uh, it says, people may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you make them feel, how you made them feel. You know, you know what... <laughs> What impressed me so much about the two drummers that invested in Carter's life, it's not just the generosity of time or drum parts. It's the way that they both showed care for Carter, believed in him. I remember talking with one of the drummers. He's like, listen, Carter's going to, he's going to go past me way soon. You know, like, I'm not a good enough drummer to take him where he really needs to go. You know, you're going to have to get a drummer that has more skill. And I remember thinking in my heart, that's the See, you, you're missing it. It's, we're not just trying to get, get Carter's skill. We're trying to help him grow in character. And the way that, that that guy has cared for Carter, I want that to rub off on Carter's life. Compassion, care, the way that somebody makes you feel. So let me ask us, especially guys in the room as dads. You know, last weekend was Father's Day. Dads, how are we making our, our families feel? I didn't ask anything about whether you bring a paycheck home or whether you work hard, you know, lots of hours for your family. But how do they feel? Do they feel loved? Do they feel respected? Do they feel safe? Do they feel cared for? Do they feel loved? That's what people remember, how we make them feel. A a, a legacy life is a godly life because God is generous and God is compassionate. And so then that compassion that God has poured into our hearts, it starts to leak out in our lives on the people that matter the most. And we become more compassionate. We, like Jesus, we're moved with compassion. But there's another mark that David calls out in the godly life, this legacy life. He says the godly are, are generous and compassionate and they're righteous. He goes back to the generosity piece in verse 5 again. He says, Good comes to those who lend money generously and, catch it, and conduct their business fairly. In other words, they do the right thing. Whatever business that is, your business of being a a stay-at-home mom, your business of being a teacher, your business of being a coach, your business of being a student, you do what is right. And guess what? In our culture, in our day, just doing the right thing, it's a big deal. It stands out. You want to leave a mark in other people's lives? Just be a person of character, a person of integrity. One of my favorite authors, Kerry Newhoff, he he says this, and we'll put it on the screen. He says, your competency leaves the first impression, but your character leaves the lasting one. People remember how you feel, and people will remember how you lived. Were we people of character and integrity? This is a legacy kind of life. Well, there's a fourth thing that David notes about a legacy kind of life, and that is a legacy life. It stands in adversity. Verse 6, he says, Such people will not uh, not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will overcome, Long be remembered. Verse 7, he says, They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to take care of them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Whatever their foes are. Before the service, I was talking to a guy who's a farmer. And my heart goes out to the farmers right now. It is a hard time to be a farmer. My wife was driving down to Columbus a couple of weeks ago. She said she, could, she, she counted like two cornfields because nobody's been able to plant. And what has been planted, it's underwater. I've, there, there's a couple of farmers at our Sandusky campus. I talked to them three weeks ago. And I, oftentimes when, when the weather's been bad, you know, I'll say, oh, man, how's it going? And it's always, you know, hey, trust in the Lord. He's always, he's always provided. He's never let us down yet. But man, the last time that I asked them that this year, there was a different look on their faces. And the guy that I was talking to before the service, he said, it's, it's never been like this. And yet he said, Gotta provide. What else what else who else do we have to go to? Who are we gonna trust? A legacy life doesn't doesn't have to fear. can stand in adversity. And I mean, fear is a real thing. And all of us face fear, but we don't have to live in fear. Because we know, we don't have to live in fear as long as we're fearing the one that matters the most. In a holy awe and trust that he's going to care for us. A legacy life stands in adversity. And then finally, number five, a legacy life will always be remembered. A legacy life will always be remembered. Look at verse 9. It says, they share freely and give generously. There's that generosity piece again. Um, Their good deeds, he says, will be remembered forever, and they will have influence and honor. You know, it's possible to have influence, but not honor. I mean, we can throw our power around, our weight around, our position around, and we can influence people, but will we be honored for the way that we've influenced people? That's legacy, right? And and, and David's saying, those that, that those that fear God and honor Him and obey His way, those those that pass on what they have to their children in the next generation, those that live a, a godly life of compassion and generosity and righteousness and that stand in the face of adversity. Those are the kinds of lives that people don't forget. They will be long remembered, and they'll be honored in others' memories. You know, just a month or two ago, we celebrated the retirement of Pastor Dave Brown, one of our pastors here at the chapel. It was an awesome celebration. Many of you were there. Dave and Donna have served Jesus faithfully. And I remember walking away from that night one, being so encouraged for Dave and Donna. Because people had so many amazing things to say about them. But just as encouraged as I was for Dave and Donna, I was personally challenged. I walked away going, now that's a legacy life. I heard uh, some of how some people of Dave's friends and former co workers um, talked about him. One guy was there in person to share one of Dave's best friends, and he said, Well, Dave, I guess I'm giving your, your eulogy early. <laughs> hey, man, you know, we ought to eulogize those that have impacted us and influenced us in positive ways before they're gone. And say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for the way that your life has impacted my life. Tell them while they are still here. And I was struck when I heard his kids talk about their dad. Legacy. A life of of generosity and graciousness and compassion. And righteousness. I don't know about you, but that's that's how I want to be remembered. But remember where David said it all begins. It all begins, David said, with our relationship to God. Because we can listen, if if we try to live a legacy life that everybody will if that's our if that's the goal we will probably miss it. The pathway towards a legacy life is not trying to live a legacy. It's trying to live for God. It's it's growing on a day to day basis my our relationship with Jesus because when Jesus starts to have full rights into all of our life and starts to shape our lives and impact our lives that's when our life will start to impact others in the best way possible. It all begins with our relationship with God and then it can't help but keep living on, impacting others: our kids, our grandkids, our coworkers, our friends. And a legacy life is a godly life. And a godly life is generous and compassionate and righteous. And a legacy life, no matter what, whether you're a farmer living in worry, whether you're a woman that's just found out the cancer's back, a legacy life can stand in adversity because it fears the one that that holds their heart. That holds their life together that they can trust knowing God's got me no matter what I face. And a legacy life will always be remembered. So I want to leave us with the very first question that we began with. If I knew, if you knew that, that those that are under your influence, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your co-workers, your students, if you knew that they were going to turn out to be just like you, what would you want to change about you right now? And you know what the amazing thing is? God's ready for change. He, he's he's ready to he's ready to to grind down some of the roughness in our life. He's he's ready to fill our hearts with compassion where, where there was, or where there was cynicism. God is, is, is ready to, to replace unforgiveness with love. He's, he's, he's ready to give us generosity when we've lived our whole lives just taking it in for me. God's ready to put compassion in our souls for the hurting and downtrodden that sometimes we've just judged. That's the pathway. This is the pathway towards a legacy kind of life. And that's the kind of life that I want to live. And I bet many of you in this room, you do too. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. God, thank you for the way that you have shown love, generosity, compassion, all in the midst of righteousness to me and to us. Your word says that he he who did not spare his own son how would he not give us all good things? God, you are so generous. You've given us your son. What more could you give? And yet you keep going. Help us to never take your blessings for granted, your gifts for granted, and help that kind of generosity flow out of our lives. God, thank you for your compassion. When, when you should have called it quits on us a long time ago, when we've gone our own way, even knowing better, God, you've, you've continued to show your compassion. And God, when we were unrighteous, Jesus, the righteous one, came for the unrighteous to give his life away, to take our sin and our mistakes, our mess upon himself, and to trade it and give us his righteousness. There's nobody like you, Jesus. And so I pray that our relationship with you would grow in such a way that as you impact our lives, God, our lives would impact others. We pray to this end, Jesus, and we ask for your help. It's in Christ's name that we pray together and all God's people said, amen.